Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. In this episode, we talk with Kelly Moore, CGOB Sports Director, host of Jets Hockey on CGOB, about what went wrong this season, about all the candor we've heard from players in the recent weeks, what has to change going into the offseason, and more. We'll also preview the CFL Draft with Three Down Nation's John Hodge coming up on the podcast. Kelly Moore, CGOB Sports Director, who was in the room today as Kevin Cheveldayoff held his year-end media availability, Kelly, and we uh, heard the audio earlier in the show. What what was your biggest takeaway today from Chevy's half-hour availability? Uh, I, I think that what probably caught my earlobes the most, Christian, was uh, when Kevin Cheveldayoff was asked about what kind of a head coach he'd be looking for as per usual, you know, he didn't give a lot of detail, but he said uh, that he would uh, also welcome the input of the players during the exit meetings, which I thought was really kind of interesting. So, uh, you know, I mean, it doesn't take a Rhodes scholar to figure out uh, with all that we have heard uh, from the players the past week and including Paul Stastny and Blake Wheeler yesterday uh, and to a certain degree, Mark Shafley, that there has to be better symmetry between the players and the coach, or at least that uh, you know the, the the coach has to be willing uh, to to be the bad guy every once in a while, and to not. And I, I don't ever. I'm not going to say that Dave Lowry didn't wasn't concerned about um, ruffling feathers or anything else like that, uh, but. Uh, you know, uh, when when you have Paul uh, Paul Stastny rather, on one hand, saying uh, or advocating for what Bruce Boudreaux did, and I can't remember which Vancouver Canuck it was, and so JT I'm not. Miller. Uh, pardon me. I think it was JT Miller, if I remember. Yeah, correctly. I, see, I don't know, uh, so I, I I'm not going to try to guess on that one. Uh, but when he advocated that it's not necessarily, it's not something you can do every time, uh, but it's not necessarily a bad thing to do once in a while for cause and effect. Uh, and then Dave Lowry came out and said, I'm not using the media to, uh, you know, uh, uh, get a player to get to, uh, up to snuff and playing his game. So right away there, you know, I'm thinking, okay, th- I wonder if perhaps there's a little bit of a disconnect. Blake Wheeler earlier in the process uh, came out and said, well, you know, we're, we're back to square one. Dave Lowry comes out. Well, no, we're, I don't think we're back to square one. So there's, there's obviously, you know, uh, a, a, a bit of a disconnect there in, in how each individual is seeing it. Not that coaches and players need to agree all the time or even some of the time. Uh, but, uh, that was what, uh, what really caught, uh, my ear Christian was, uh, when, uh, when Kevin Cheveldayoff said, uh, you know, he, I don't think the players will be able to say, okay, you know, we want this guy or this guy, uh, but just a, a, a general, uh, analysis and maybe also to find out how different the answers are from one player to the next. Well, we have a, a, track record here of over half the season with Dave Lowry and the results didn't really change. What didn't change, of course, was the assistants underneath Dave Lowry. They were still the same. Charlie Huddy's been here since the Jets moved here. Right. And the defensive systems over the last few years, I think, have been exposed as as not great. Certainly the personnel has changed a lot since the glory run of four years ago when they made the West final. But 
I mean, we've we've been able to see through a lot of different players. The defense of this team has been such a big issue, and uh, perhaps more than anything, just it maybe got stale here over does, the course does, of the last couple of years. I think the thing I'd ask Christian is, does Charlie Huddy run the forwards? No. So, you know, and again, I'm not going to dispute what you've just said there, uh, but my by my eyeballs, and again, I'm only going by the eye test, Christian. I don't go by analytics. I don't understand them. And uh, and I think sometimes there's a, a, a little bit of uh, uh, opinion involved there as well. So it's not entirely different from the eyeball test. Uh, but I think it's it's important, though, that the forwards take as much responsibility as the defensemen uh, for uh, the lack of, of consistency in that area of the game mm-hmm. for the Winnipeg Jets. And so while Charlie Huddy might have been here for 11 years, and, and maybe it is time for a change from that perspective, uh, but uh, I think we have to provide the context too that he's not in charge of the forwards, and, and so I don't know how much say he would have in how they play defensively. Both things can be true, right? The that yeah. a, a change in the assistance. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's it's probably necessary, but it also needs to be said that Mark Scheifele's defensive uh, play has been lacking. Blake Wheeler's defensive play has not been the best at times, and, and even Nikolai Ehlers is somebody that, if you if you look at the analytics, has not been awesome in his own end. But as and you know, Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers, Mark Scheifele, these are guys that are excellent offensive talents. Right. And the question is just how do we get how do the players, how do the coaches get on the same page with that defensive buy in? Because I don't think there's any argument that the Jets offensively uh, need uh, like a big boost, certainly depth wise in the lineup. There might not be the best depth scoring, but it really starts and ends with defense, doesn't it? It does. You create offense off of defense. And we've we've seen that. From the teams, especially Christian, uh, we saw that with the Rangers and we saw that in the Carolina game on that recent road trip. A lot of what they do is manufactured off of their defense and some of it also is manufactured off their forechecking pressure uh, in enforcing turnovers. But also that's where the Jets get exposed uh, because, uh, you know, there's you often hear if we're playing as a group of five, if we're tight in our own zone, that's when we're at our best. But then all of a sudden you get guys, you know, cheating, leaving a little bit early. And now the gaps become so wide uh, that it becomes uh, uh, a little more efficient for these teams to prey on the Jets, uh, try to move the puck out of their own zone. So uh, I think you would see an uptick in Winnipeg's offensive game if they paid, you know, maybe not right away, but over the long haul, I think if they paid more attention to their defensive game, uh, then you would probably see that offense uh, uh, come alive a little bit. Well, we saw it to because, some degree. Because the, they certainly have the skill to take advantage of it. Right. We saw it in the Edmonton series to some degree. I mean, part of that was just Connor Hellebuck was awesome, right? And and definitely was the number one reason I think they won that series. But the, the reality was they were able to to get a much stronger defensive effort from someone like Mark Shifley. They were able to to see at its pinnacle what the team could be defensively. And then, you know, DeMello gets hurt, Shifley gets suspended, and it all falls apart against Montreal. But we're looking ahead now to next year. And do you see uh, a very 
different Jets lineup? I know we t- we've talked about this in, in the postgame show the last couple of weeks, but do you see a very different Jets lineup, or is it pretty much the same as we've seen this year? What tweaks do you think are going to be coming? Well, I think a lot of it depends on what happens with the coaching. If you believed going into this season that this was a that, that this is a good lineup, it's a good roster, um, then and and the fact that uh, they are going to begin a search for a new head coach who will then pick his own coaching staff. Uh, I would say there there'll be less movement on the roster. There, there's going to be some for sure, uh, but there'll be less movement on the roster by what the Jets have decided to do because of their coaching than if they had continued on the way that it was. Having said that, though, I don't know how you can avoid uh, not trying to make some moves so that you can uh, have Dylan Sandberg and possibly Billy Hanola. Uh, I, I don't dispute that Billy Hanola is is going to be a good defenseman, but I'm not in that crowd that thinks Billy Hanola uh, is uh, is ready for uh, 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 certainly a top four position in, in the National Hockey League. Uh, maybe maybe in your bottom third pairing to start and maybe finish the season uh, as a top four. But uh, Dylan Sandberg, I think, you know, for the uh, 15 or 16 games or whatever it was that he played, uh, and, and he played against a lot of really good teams, Christian. Uh, you know, there weren't too many muffins uh, that he was out there against. Uh, you know, he had Colorado a couple of times. I think he had uh, Florida a couple of times. So, he played against uh, you know some of the very best teams the NHL has to offer. So I think you're gonna you, you know they're just through uh, having to introduce some younger players and maybe uh, also create a little more salary cap space uh, as a result of that. Uh, that's where I think you'll see some of the changes. Uh, but uh, I I don't know that they'll be quite as significant uh, as they would have been if they had decided that Dave Lowry was the guy to continue on as head coach. What was your reaction to what Mark Shifley said yesterday? I liked it. I liked it a lot uh, because I'm a big advocate, Christian, of players being honest, of being forthright, of being direct. And I had no issue whatsoever with what Mark Shifley said. If I was in his position, I'd be pretty close to saying the same thing. But as I mentioned on my commentary today, it it goes both ways. You know, the the Winnipeg Jets owe him uh, an explanation. He's been an underpaid player uh, when you consider what uh, his contributions have been and and what he's paid. But that that was the deal that he and his agent brokered. Um, uh, But, you know, he's been been a good value performer uh, despite, you know, all what, we see and what we say about his defensive shortcomings. So I think he deserves to be able to go into the general manager's office and say, Hey, you know, I'm going into my 29, 30 years. Uh, and also in my last two years of the contract, uh, you know, what are we doing here? But by the same token, when he goes in there after the kind of year he's had Christian, I think he also has to be prepared for, okay, we want to win the Stanley cup. We can only win that Stanley Cup if you're going to improve your 200-foot game. If you're going to be more noticeable for great defensive plays than errors. If you're going to be more noticeable for being able to 
take away a great scoring opportunity uh, from a player rather than just gliding by him. And and so I think that's got to be a tough love conversation. But I, uh, as far as what he said, Christian, I liked it. I, I'll tell you what, I liked it a lot more than, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Winnipeg Jet. I've been here all my career. Uh, I'm happy in Winnipeg, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and let's just see how things play out. That would have been disappointing. Well, the losing has definitely brought out the candor in the Winnipeg Jets these well, last few weeks. Has it ever? Has it? Christian, I, I have to tell you, you know how long I've been at this. Mm-hmm. I don't ever remember a week like this ever at any level of hockey, ever. Explain. Just for what you just said, the candor, the honest, the raw honesty, the, you know, some of the things that were said, Nick, and I'm going to use a few examples. I'm not going to go through the whole laundry list, but the ones that really stand out, Nikolai Ehlers, we have to learn how to prepare better mentally on this team. Connor Hellebuck, in my opinion, this was a wasted season. Holy, you know, from a guy like Paul Stastny, especially yesterday when he jumped in after Blake Wheeler started to talk about how they had not bought into the defensive system as players. And that was kind of on them. And then Paul Stastny just picked up right on that and, you know, and talked about the having to have respect for the guy beside you and having that respect uh, in terms of maybe sacrificing uh, for your own statistics for the betterment of the team. For a guy like Neil Pionk to come forward and to say, that this was an embarrassment of the season. When you look at the lineup that we have, we should be embarrassed. I know I'm embarrassed. When was the last time you heard comments like that all over this, the span of one week? And even Never. before that, Kyle Connor talking about uh, how they need to shift the culture, and it's never too late to start to establish a new culture. Those are from some pretty significant people. And then, of course, you know, I didn't even get to Pierre-Luc Dubois. It's a remarkable last couple of weeks, and it maybe makes for a remarkable offseason here in Winnipeg. A lot to talk about as we go through, of course. Kelly Moore. You know, you know what, Christian, our... though? Go ahead, Kelly. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it with this. I'll leave it with this. As disappointing and as underwhelming as this season was, we, I mean, we don't know what the cause and effect of it will be uh, but you know, one of the thing, one of the considerations is this could be the punch to the solar plexus, the kick to the nether regions, the punch to the jaw that maybe this team needed. Absolutely. Sometimes you got to hit bottom before you can get to the to the top of the mountain. Kelly, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this, and uh, enjoy a little bit of uh, of some downtime, I guess. Now that the Jets are done. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just said it though. This off season is not going to be quiet, so we'll be uh, we'll we'll need to be on our on our teal on our toes rather, not playing on our heels. And now we turn our attention to the CFL because the draft is tomorrow. It's coming up fast. As we. We'll have full coverage for you. Derek Taylor and I tomorrow night, the new voice of the Bombers, will be with you for really the, the whole night. And we'll try to get whoever the Bombers pick on the show. But to preview the draft as a whole, we're joined by John Hodge of Three Down Nation. John, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Christian. Thanks for having me. 
how where does draft day rank for you as far as CFL events are concerned? Oh, I, I'm I'm a uh, self-proclaimed draft Nick. I love the draft. For me, it, it, it slots somewhere between Christmas Day and my birthday. I think. Oh wow! Okay, so you hold it in high regard. Okay, do you feel that the CFL does a good <laughs> enough job in kind of making a big deal about the draft? Well, no. Um, no, not at all. Um, I, I do think that, that part of the issue is the CFL draft will always kind of lack the, the glitz and glamour of the NFL draft because, first of all, it's not the NFL. And secondly, um, quarterbacks that tend to dominate the NFL draft in the first round of the NFL draft, not so much this year, but in your, in your normal year, you know, have, have the ability to step in and completely change the face of a franchise whether you're talking about a player, you know, like Trevor Lawrence, who was a day one starter for the Jacksonville Jaguars last season, whether you're talking about guys like Justin Herbert, you know, even Patrick Mahomes, a guy who sat for a year before becoming a superstar with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, the CFL draft's not like that. The CFL draft is a lot more like the NHL draft, where you're, you're, you're picking players, and there might be one or maybe two who can play right away, but for the most part, these are developmental guys, guys who are going to be on special teams for a year or two as they kind of get their professional bearings and then go on to become starters down the road. So, I mean, it's I, I do think there's a ceiling to how popular this event could be, but no, I, I don't think it's, it's you know, enough of a big deal is made about the CFL, and, and hopefully that changes someday. Yeah, part of it is, yeah, offensive linemen aren't, aren't generally as sexy as, as quarterbacks, and part of it is, it's right in the middle of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Normally, there's there's a lot of competing factors for it. Uh, but let's talk about this year's draft. Let's start with the the local angle here in the Winnipeg Blue Bombers picking ninth overall. What do you feel is their biggest need as far as their draft board is concerned? Well, it's interesting you ask that because I, I think that answer has changed uh, a little bit. At, at least um, in the last few hours, there was a report today. Liam Dobson, the team's uh, first round pick last year, taken third overall out of Texas State, um, is, is was originally under contract with the USFL. Uh, he was selected in the 23rd round of the USFL draft. And that was significant because to be drafted by the USFL, you need to sign a two-year contract locking you into that league through 2023. Well, there was an issue with his work visa. He was not able to play in the USFL. And he's currently looking at a couple of minicamp invites uh, in the NFL. Now, if he gets signed by an NFL team, that's obviously going to lengthen the period of time he could potentially come to Canada. But if he's not offered a, a contract coming out of either committee camp, all of a sudden it's certainly possible that the Bombers are going to get Liam Dobson under contract by the time training camp gets underway. And that's a super exciting thing if you're a Bomber fan because Liam Dobson is an unbelievable athlete. He is six foot three, about 340 pounds. Yet he can dunk a basketball at that size, which is wild. I don't know anybody else who's six foot three, three hundred and forty pounds that could dunk a basketball. So, if Liam Dobson is available to Winnipeg, I was originally going to say offensive line was their biggest area of need. If Dobson is is actually going to be under contract with Winnipeg for this upcoming season, I would look for Winnipeg potentially to address the defensive line where they lost Jonathan Kongbo to the NFL following last season. I think Jake Thomas. You know, it's been a very uh, steady starter for them at defensive tackle the last few years, but 
He's getting a little bit more towards, let's say, the end of his career than the beginning of his career. And I think Winnipeg could stand to add some depth at that spot of the draft. And is is that a spot where someone will be available for them? I, I see two uh, defensive linemen potentially going in the first round of the draft at the defensive tackle spot. That's Jake Thomas's spot on the interior of that defensive line. The first one is Deontay Knight out of Western. He played uh, defensive end with the Mustangs, but at 278 pounds, he's going to be playing along the interior at the CFL level. He's the reigning J.P. Metris Trophy winner as the top lineman in U Sports football. He had an, an absolutely sensational season in 2021. Got home for a ton of sacks, a ton of pressure. Uh, he has a mini camp invitation from the Washington Commanders. Um, there's a chance he could get signed there, but I, I don't think that's a strong likelihood at this point. That said, I don't think he's going to be on the board when Winnipeg picks at nine. I think he's going to be off by that point. The other defensive tackle I would highlight as an option is Nathan Cherry out of the University of Saskatchewan, who's a first-team U Sports All-Canadian this past year, a high-motor player, 6'1", 271. That's almost identical to Jake Thomas's measurables. Nathan Cherry out of the University of Saskatchewan, I think, is an option for Winnipeg at nine if they choose to address the defensive line with that particular spot. So we had a trade today. Uh, this is not involving the Blue Bombers, but it's involving the Ticats and Elks. Elks get the pick number eight and 28, as well as pick number nine in the global draft, which is also tomorrow. And then the number two pick in the global draft goes to Hamilton, as well as an offensive lineman and a linebacker. Is this a big trade, John? It is, in my view, because Kyle Saxley, the offensive lineman going from Edmonton to Hamilton, and Grant McDonald, the linebacker going from Edmonton to Hamilton, are, are both really starting caliber players. Grant McDonald was in his rookie year last year. Sean on special teams, to me, he's, he's a future starter at either weak side linebacker or middle linebacker. Kyle Saxley has already been a starter in this league. He started at guard. He started at left tackle, which is not a position that many Canadian players uh, typically tend to play left tackle tends to be in an American position. So to me, if, 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 you know, you're looking at the tea leaves here, Edmonton has given up essentially two Canadian starters, both of whom are young. Uh, Saxoid was in the 20, uh, 2018 draft. Grant McDonald was in the 2020 draft out of Calgary. So these are both young men signed to long-term contracts who can start in this league. If I'm Edmonton, I'm not giving up those two players unless there is a player I really covet at number eight overall, and potentially with that third-round pick from the Ticats as well, because Edmonton has given up two very high-quality players here. And to me, I would also go as far as to say this is just further confirmation that Edmonton is going to take Tyrell Richards out of Syracuse with the first overall pick tomorrow, because he's a big-bodied linebacker, six foot four, two hundred thirty-two pounds. Uh, who can play a, a number of positions, not dissimilar to Grant McDonald, who they just traded away. And to me, you'd have to be crazy to trade away Grant McDonald if you're not adding a top-tier linebacker in the draft tomorrow. So to me, that's a further indication that uh, Terrell Richards being the number one pick is is an even stronger likelihood after this trade. So you mentioned quarterbacks and how you know we don't have a lot of Canadian quarterbacks in the Canadian football league, not a lot of success stories, really. Trey Ford is a name that's been uh, bounced around a lot because he 
had a has a rookie camp invite from the Ravens. People thought maybe he, you know, NFL teams might give him a look. The reigning Heck Crichton Trophy winner is a top player in, in university sports here in Canada. Do you think he's going to get a chance to play down south or is he someone that could come up here and kind of be a ratio breaker at quarterback? Well, that's the interesting thing. We, we, we talked off the top about how, you know, the NFL draft has the glitz and glamour of those quarterbacks. Well, this year we only saw one quarterback come off the board in the first round. Um, that was Kenny Pickett out of Pitt going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now when you look at the CFL draft, we could have one quarterback go in the first round as well in Trey Ford. I don't know the last time or if it's ever happened that we've had as many or more quarterbacks be taken in the first round of the CFL draft as the NFL draft. That would be wild. But Trey Ford got a second minicamp invite today. He got that from the New York Giants. I've got that story up on 3downnation.com. I do think there's a realistic chance uh, that he could get signed. Absolutely. Um, I don't think that these mini camp invites are, are favors that a team is doing, you know, for, for an agent or for a team like mini camp invites can sometimes be, or, or to, uh, you know, a college head coach. Um, sometimes mini camp invites, you know, are, are more about politics than actual scouting. I don't think this is the case at all with Trey Ford. I think NFL teams are going, okay, this guy ran a four, four, five, 40 yard dash. It's faster than anybody ran at the NFL combine at the quarterback position He's a youth sports track uh, athlete who has done really well in some meets in, in sprinting. Um, and he's a guy who, who's posted gaudy numbers, not only as, as a passer, but as a rusher as well at the youth sports level. He averaged about 100 yards a game as a rusher, as a dual threat quarterback uh, at the University of Waterloo in 2021. So uh, I think there's a very real chance he gets signed. Now, will it happen? That remains to be seen in how, of course, he does at the mini camps. Uh, but but the Baltimore Ravens, I think, is a very interesting fit because, of course, they have Lamar Jackson there as their starter, former NFL M- MVP, who is uh, a freak speedster himself, uh, one of the best, if not the best, dual threat passers in the NFL. Now, I'm not suggesting that Trey Ford is at, uh, at the same level as Lamar Jackson right now, but what I am saying is if you're the Ravens and you want a backup quarterback or a third-string quarterback, who plays the same style as Lamar Jackson, who has, you know, a, a similar mold, a similar skill set, and uh, maybe a similar level of athleticism, you could do a lot worse, I think, than than a young Trey Ford coming out of U-Sports. A lot of interesting stories to follow as we get into the draft. Appreciate this, John. Thanks for this, and have fun tomorrow. Thanks, Christian. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that they should come to this